Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We are Needip in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 223, recorded on April 25th, 2023. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needipintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. And here we are. The three of have been decimated into a duo because we have put Alexander on a boat somewhere. Yeah, we don't know exactly where, but somewhere in the water, I would assume. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the plan is that he is somewhere in between Norway and Denmark, but uh, you never know what happens. Like those Danes, they don't have exactly. a clue about how to, to do those boats. So we, we hopefully it's a Norwegian captain. Yeah, let's hope so. And let's hope we do get Alexander back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's probably a Finnish built ship. I've learned that you are good <gasps> at building cruise ships. Yeah, it seems to be the case. I'm not too familiar with that myself, but <laughs> I have heard the same thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, I think the only thing that prevents you from building more cruise ships now is that the Öresund Bridge is is too low. Uh, so again, mm. a mistake made by Danes and Swedes that prevents Finland oh, yeah, from yeah, world yeah, domination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, we would just yeah take over the world, for sure. <laughs> exactly, and you didn't take the opportunity before the Arizona <laughs> Bridge were built. Exactly. What an opportunity lost. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we, we as SpaceX have succeeded with our goal. We did the intro without breaking into laughter, and now we'll blow this episode into pieces uh, and be very yeah. pleased with ourselves anyways. Uh, and when Alexander gets back in, in a couple of weeks, <laughs> he will probably tell us all the things we did wrong. But, probably, uh, we yes. Miss you, and, and we hope you didn't, don't fall into the data lake. Yes. Good. So Good. Is, since this is our new format for the podcast, we will now, uh, this episode will be focused on the, the latest news. And um, Haney will take us away on a Asher roller coaster ride first. Yes, so please, definitely. What's happened since last? Yeah. Now that I think of it, maybe I should have taken some of the data topic items as well. <laughs> but I have stuck to the wonderful world of app service, AKS, Azure Container Apps, and so forth. All the fun stuff in the Azure side. Even though I work with the data stuff as well, so <laughs> I'm not sure I, why. Why be, be, I've just taken because, this role of doing yeah. this area. <laughs> because you are a data platform MVP still, right? I am. I am. Very much so. <laughs> I just have an interest in the other stuff as well. So. Exactly. You just have an interest where you spend most of your time and all the podcast time on. But yeah. Exactly. But, but, but we will come to data services that are being shut down. Later on. Yes. So you have taken care yes, we, of, of the things. Very true. Very true, actually. So let's start with Azure App Services. And about a week ago, uh, there was an announcement about new premium V3 offerings. And I mm -hmm. actually read this first as the new premium V3 offering. And I was thinking like, I think I've used this. Like, how can I remember so wrong and get my versions wrong in my head? But then I realized that, well, actually, it says new premium V3 offerings. 
So it means that within the V3 category mm-hmm. of app service plans, which is the compute capacity of Azure App Service, there is new tiers available there that m- make it possible for you to run, for example, lower capacity need workloads. Mm-hmm. So for example, there is now this P0 V3 and also then a P star MV3. <laughs> We love these abbreviations yeah. in a podcast. Who, fig- who figured that out? And that must be a horrific thing to automate when you just throw in a star in the middle of a name. Yes, exactly. So what the zero version is, it's kind of the smallest tier you can now get with just one CPU and four gigabytes of memory. Mm-hmm. And then the B- P star MV3 is a memory optimized version where you can actually uh, you have two vCPU, but then you can actually choose the level of memory that you need. Okay. So you have a bit of flexibility. Thus, I think that's where the star comes from, that you actually have some power over how much uh, memory you need. And if you've been using App Service for a long time and you are still on version two tiers, for example, I do recommend looking into the V3 versions because they are actually much more performant and you will see kind of the usage of capacity and memory go down even if you choose like the similar tier. So always uh, the level of like CPU and memory you have doesn't tell everything about the performance. So if you're still in the older versions, do look into V3. It can really actually bring cost benefits and also performance benefits to your application. And does the version work a little bit like VM version, that if you have a a newer version, you get newer CPUs? Or is there other things that have changed when you move between 2 and 3? That is what has essentially changed behind the scenes. Uh, I do believe there are some other details that have changed too, but uh, that is, of course, the main thing, which means that you get uh, more power. (laughs) Yeah. And and the the existing V3 premium, how does that work? Is that a fixed amount of performance or is is how does that compare to the new ones? So there has been uh the other P something V3 yeah. levels available already. Yeah. <laughs> Try to get my tongue wrapped <laughs> around this. Uh, but there has already been the other levels available. So there has mm-hmm. been the P1V3, which is two vCPU PU and eight gigabytes of mm-hmm. memory and so forth. So it kind of always doubles as you go forward yep. one step. But yeah, the other other numbers have been available already beforehand. Not all the nice. numbers, but you know. <laughs> quite yeah. many of them and and i saw that in the blog post that we'll of course link to you can even see that the cost actually goes down if you use yes, something you new yeah so that's that's quite interesting it is and yeah we've seen this uh actually function in practice that you do yeah. do then find find your costs going down with changing mm-hmm. to these tiers as well Then if we go to the container side of Azure services, uh, there is again some AKS updates. I haven't actually talked about Azure Kubernetes service in a few episodes, so it's about Mm -hmm. time. Uh, And one of the most difficult things about running Kubernetes, whether it's on Azure or somewhere else, is the fact that, yeah, 
especially on a cloud platform, it's pretty easy to spin up. But then mm-hmm. there is actually quite many maintenance and upgrade tasks and monitoring tasks you that you need to take care of. And people quite oftentimes do disregard that a little bit and don't mm-hmm. take that into account. Like what kind of things do you need to handle after you've deployed the service? So one of the things that you needed to do previously is that Kubernetes comes up with a new version every about three months, and they only support the latest three uh, versions. Mm-hmm. So that means that about every year, at least, you have to upgrade Kubernetes. So there's yep. no, there's like not a concept of long-term support in terms of the Kubernetes version. So uh, there is now in Azure Kubernetes service, there is this concept of long-term support that comes in. And uh, with version 1.27, which will be the next version, which is going to be released in May. And with that version onwards, you can pin a kind of a long-term support version for yourself. And then you have two years of support for that version. So from now on, uh, Microsoft will be working to have that support for those versions and maintaining the Kubernetes uh, code base for that. So that will be happening going forward, which will, for I think for smaller organizations especially, it can really ease the management where you don't have to have such a tight upgrade schedule to the Kubernetes service that you're running. I have so many questions. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, first question that that came to mind is: it, would you would you would say that there is a general misunderstanding, the same way as many misunderstood what Azure did in the beginning, that mm-hmm. let's spin up Kubernetes and it will just work, just as many still believes that if you spin up an Azure VM, Microsoft will take care of the patching and you won't have to do anything if you just live their life. Is is would you say that that's the truth that a lot of people think it it's a self managed service? Yeah, and it does kind of can sound like that because you say, well, it's Azure Kubernetes service. It's not (laughs) Kubernetes service. So Azure must take care of something and Mm -hmm. they do take care of something. They, uh, the management plane of the Kubernetes service that includes the API server, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that is like bundled away from you. You don't have Mm -hmm. to maintain those components and upgrade those necessarily you actually do have to upgrade them but it's more of a, just a command that you run uh and then you do need to ensure that you are you have like up to date node versions the mm-hmm. actual vms running the kubernetes yeah. and so forth so again there is still components that you have to maintain and upgrade that don't happen automatically and there is some auto upgrade features available, but again, you have to think, do you want that to happen in production mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for just an upgrade to come in and possibly things to break? And and the next question, and this this go back, goes back to something I, I'm very passionate about, and this Windows as mm. a service and updating Windows. So mm. if you look at Windows, it, it has followed a certain update pattern up until Windows 10. Mm-hmm. And with Windows 10, Microsoft started to introduce new updates and we were supposed to go faster uh, and the world obviously failed in doing so. But, but to some extent, well, that was a modernization of something that many people were used to doing for many, many years. 
-hmm. Kubernetes and containers in general is a cloud native service to some extent. Mm -hmm. Isn't it very odd to introduce like a long-term servicing thingy when you're supposed to build something that's cloud native and should be updated? (laughs) That's what everyone sold Kubernetes to me on. Like (laughs) it will just work and you just spin up new nodes and it just like magically scales up and down and it always kept up to date. So isn't this a very odd way of making a cloud native service? I I do think so. And I I would kind of consider uh, if you're somebody using AKS that do you actually need the long-term support or mm-hmm. should you actually be going with the actual upgrade cycle that mm. you've been going forward thus far? And yeah. if you can and you, you know you have the processes in place, I definitely wouldn't tell you to go for the long-term support. Mm. But still, we have to remember there's quite a lot of applications that are being transformed mm. to be more cloud native and not mm. all teams have been working in AKS to begin with. Yeah. So for everyone it's not a like a standard way of working. Mm. And with Kubernetes there's a lot of bits and pieces that you need to figure out. So mm. especially in the beginning it might be a little easier that at least you can pin something <laughs> in place and get a handle of everything else mm-hmm. and then you can take another piece into the mix after you're kind of comfortable with everything else. Mm-hmm. So that's where I see it uh, functioning. I don't think it should necessarily be the goal <laughs> mm-hmm. to stick with a version for two years, because of course, mm-hmm. when you have a new version, there's also new capabilities mm-hmm. and you don't want to start accumulating uh, technical debt in your AKS service, for example, on with your Kubernetes version and not being able to leverage the new, newest capabilities. So I do think there's a definitely a little bit of a balance and it's mm-hmm. an interesting move uh, yeah. that they are doing this, but mm-hmm. we'll see what kind of um, round it takes. But especially for teams that are just starting to use AKS, I think it can ease with uh, taking it into use. Any more news items on containers? I do. There's actually a second part of AKS updates, and this is Azure AD Workload Identity with AKS. is wow. GA. And this is a really interesting news item because for a long time, there was something called Pod Managed Identity service mm-hmm. that you could use to grant identities to your pods that are running in AKS. Mm-hmm. And... Then that got more deprecated, and then there was this new capability, the Azure AD workload identities, which were still in preview. So you mm-hmm. were kind of between two things, one that is deprecated and one that is in preview, <laughs> and then you're like, well, what should I be doing? Mm-hmm. But now the Azure AD workload identities is in GA, which means that it is you know production ready, mm-hmm. and this will, uh, I've already been testing it in some cases, and it has been working well already beforehand. So really this is like more simple to use and deploy. And there were some limitations, even performance aspects with the Azure AD pod managed identity that always didn't function properly. So this is there to solve all those issues. So a big, big improvement. And when you think about it, a lot of the times your application will call, for example, different Azure services. So then you, of course, want to have an identity for that pod that you can just 
grant the correct access through Azure using Azure AD identities again, which is always a good way to go. Sound, sounds great. And as it states in the um, release notes that it also is able to integrate with other IDPs exactly. and, and um, the MSOL and uh, Azure SDK libraries. So exactly. I think it, it yeah. makes total sense. Exactly. So a lot of uh, cool capabilities there. There was mm-hmm. actually this month a bunch of AKS updates. So if you're mm-hmm. interested, find the Azure updates. Uh, search for AKS and you can find a bunch more, but those were just the two most interesting ones, at least to me. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else might have picked something else. <laughs> exactly. All the PMs that I work on everything else won't be at all upset now when it was only no. these two features that should have made a cut. <laughs> yeah, but there's many more. So go check it out and see what's there. Uh, then we have the other Azure container-based service, which is Azure Container Apps, which of course is a more recent addition to the Azure services. And there we have two new public preview features available. And the first one is that there is a new plan for Azure Container Apps, which is a dedicated plan. So when Azure Container Apps came came out, the only option you had was the Mm consumption-based. So you really just got... uh, not priced, you got invoiced for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever you used. Whereas mm-hmm. now you have, if you have a workload that needs more like um, stable capacity, then you can actually allocate specific capacity to it. Mm-hmm. So that's what the, not the serverless, the dedicated plan allows you to do. So you kind of create this dedicated workload pl- profile in your Azure Container Apps environment. And then you select the category and size for that. And then you can deploy your apps to these dedicated workloads or these profiles. So it's quite easy to use. And as with everything in Azure Container Apps, it really abstracts a lot of the management Mm -hmm. that, for example, you then need to do with AKS. And then uh, there's also things that come into effect on the networking side. uh, And these two kind of link together a little bit. Uh, But then this also allows you to start creating or there's not such a big requirement for your subnetting if you are creating virtual networks and subnets for your Azure Container App environments. Mm -hmm. And then you are also able to use uh, network security groups and user-defined routes as well. So just bringing a more flexible uh, capability to use with your applications that you are running in Azure Container Apps. Can I ask something that might be a very stupid question? Of course. Each each container re- mm. is it's it correct that each container requires one IP address each or on which level do you allocate IP addresses? Um if we think about Azure Container Apps specifically, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm always happy when I ask a question that obviously we're smarter than it, it sounded. It's it's not a stupid question as, at yeah. all. It's it's not at all. So there's kind of different configurations that you can mm-hmm. do with the container apps. So you can do it with your custom VNet configuration, or you can just mm-hmm. like allow the Azure container apps to mm-hmm. have a public endpoint. Yeah. Um, I cannot remember that exact detail at this point. 
because the container apps is built so that in the consumption plan, you kind of have this compute behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you would need to have this specific size of subnet in place Mm -hmm. so that it's able to scale whatever it needs for that consumption plan Mm -hmm. architecture. So I'm not... It's it's actually an IP address per replica. So if -hmm. you, for example, need your container to run multiple replicas, Mm -hmm. then it will need more IP addresses for those. Yeah. So it will, each replica will also take up an IP address from the subnet. And and I guess that the previous limitation or, or minimum required subnet were based on like scaling to possibly the biggest environments yeah. that Microsoft yeah. could foresee you using within this service. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just see containers popping up like mushrooms uh, <laughs> and, and then it consumes yeah. a lot of IP addresses. Yeah. But for a lot of organizations, as you said before, with uh, long-term servicing, many of them might run it as a container, but might never scale it to any bigger bigger amounts or bigger numbers. And therefore you're wasting a lot of IP addresses might, which you might not have allocated when you designed your initial network design in Azure. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this is still tied to the different plans. So if you mm-hmm. do run the consumption-based plan still, you still have to have yeah. the, I believe, dash 23. Uh, dash mm-hmm. is not the right word. What is the... <laughs> slash. Slash. Yeah, yeah, slash, not dash. <laughs> slash 23 N- subnet. Ninja cut. <laughs> Ninja. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Slash 23 uh, subnet, which is quite a big one that you do have to reserve for it in that case. Whereas when you do have the workflow profile, so you're doing like setting what kind of compute you need, then you, according to that, you can set it, but you can get the minimum sizes now slash 27. So it's a nice. quite a huge difference in yep. the size of the subnet. And then from containers, I've been noticing recently that there's been a bunch of announcement of retiring Azure services. And I already started noticing this like a month or two ago. I cannot Mm -hmm. remember exactly. But I've noticed that in the updates, there's regularly now coming these announcements of retiring services. Mm -hmm. And I do think this is a sign of... um, Azure starting to be a bit more mature. So some mm-hmm. things that have been done in the beginning of when Azure was getting started are no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. And here's just a few examples. Uh, so for example, uh, the Azure SQL Gen 4 uh, hardware is going to mm-hmm. be retired in March 23. So oh. that already passed, actually. So- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, oh, we, we have already it's... retired this service. <laughs> yes. There was some time that you like have a little bit of grace period, but mm. that definitely is going out. So Gen 4 is retired. So with this example, you can hear it's not necessarily a full service that gets retired, but some mm. uh, flavor of the service that gets retired. Yeah. Uh, other examples, uh, there is the Azure CDN from Akamai. So mm-hmm. that specific, the Akamai version is getting retired by October 23rd. And then uh, App Service Environments versions 1 and 2 will get retired by August 24th. And then Azure Database for PostgreSQL single server are going to get retired by March 25th. And those, for example, need to 
move to flexible server instead. Is that 2025 or? Yes, 2025. 20, yeah, 2025. Yeah. Yes, sorry. I meant the 25, 24, that means uh, the year. Yeah, <laughs> so everyone who ran out and were about <laughs> to update whatever you have, take your time. Yes, years. So uh, these. Yes, especially PostgreSQL, that. Just yes. to realize that we have a, a not just deprecated but cancelled service, it will be there for two more years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no hurry. These announcements are coming quite well ahead of time, so you always mm-hmm. do have time to take note. But make sure that you're keeping an eye on that side of the services as well when using Azure. We've been kind of, I think, under the idea that nothing will ever retire, but it is looking that yes, occasionally something will retire. What's happening on your side, Simon? And do you notice how much time we've spent already? (laughs) When we started this, we were a bit worried about running over time and giving Alexander all the proof he needed that it's (laughs) us two that breaks our timing. And I think he has all the proof he's needed. Or we'll just do, we'll just move over to doing one episode each. (laughs) Yeah, that could work. And unfortunately, I have a ton, or to quote our dear, uh, not dear friend, a metric ton of news. <laughs> but I will do my best uh, and uh, we'll see All how right. much of, of my stuff Alexander cuts away. Um, so a lot of Intune news, and I will actually start there because most of my other news items are related to that. Uh, and I've chosen just a, a few items and we'll run through them. Not in four minutes, but probably in a little (laughs) more than that. So first, we will now get access to more partner portals within uh, Microsoft Intune. So if you look into that, you might be managing Surface devices or HP devices within your environment. You will now have an integration to a Surface uh, portal and the HP support portal. So where you easily can look up warranties or ask for a service for a hardware or whatever it might be within the same workflow and contained within the same app without having to jump between different things and copy copy and paste serial numbers or whatever it might be. So that's that's a nice addition uh, and especially the Surface Portal obviously have a lot of interesting features um, because everything is, is first party. So if you're running HP or Surface and I assume that this will extend to more hardware partners in the future, have a look at that. We also have GA for the ServiceNow integration in Intune, which I know that a lot of other services will get as well. Um, I think I've said in this podcast a couple of times that I, a couple of years back, heard someone say that the next big company after uh, AWS and Google and Microsoft and Meta and all of that will be ServiceNow, because what they do is integrating everything. Uh, And I think this is a a great example of that, where you both can receive service requests and create service requests. So as an example, you see you have an outdated app. Then you create a service request from Intune, and that is passed on to ServiceNow for um, change tracking and so on. Uh Great. You just answered my question that I would have (laughs) asked, like, what does this actually mean in this context? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And and also, like, I, I do think that integration is... Because you usually have different teams within the organization. And it might be so that the Defender team sees that you have an outdated app and you need to find a workflow 
that ensures that you have the change tracking from we found this vulnerability, please someone fix it. You send that to the Intune admin, they pick it up and they respond back and say, hey, we, we updated this. So ServiceNow is something that will be integrated in more and more services. And uh, I really like that they've done it in Intune. Um, and it's it's something that I've been looking forward to for a long time, ever since um, it was started to being designed. We'll talk about a little bit about networking as well, because uh, we have a, a um, solution or a service within Windows, which is called Windows Defender Application Control. And Application Control uh, is working a bit like AppLocker. So you define and whitelist or blacklist applications that are allowed or not allowed to run uh, on an endpoint. It's super powerful. It's a little tricky to manage. Uh, I, in many cases, still prefer AppLocker because it's just simpler to manage. But now they are extending the capabilities of application control into application IDs. So as we have in um, Azure, and I can't remember the exact name, but where you can tag applications and then add that into network security group and application security groups, you're now able to use the application ID tag and open local firewall ports for that app. So let's say that you have a, an, applica an application that needs access to a SQL server. Then you tag that application and say, you are allowed to run and you tell the firewall that this application that we have defined with a specific ID is allowed to go through the firewall uh, based on its ID, not based on an exe file or whatever it might be. So that, I think that's super convenient and, and really can be useful, uh, especially if that at some yeah. point extends to user targeting or, or something like that. So uh, endpoint privilege management is now in GA. So the ability to tell windows that a certain user is allowed to run a certain local application as administrator without the using be user being administrator uh, is now GA, which is uh, a very quick delivery because it was announced yeah. and released, um, in the beginning of March. That's what I remembered that yeah. we just talked about this, like coming into preview and yeah, huh, but, nice. uh, but I've learned that depending on how successful the private preview have been for certain services, it might actually have a very quick pace to go to GA mm. or even just bypass a public preview yeah. and head straight to GA. Uh, and this has been a very appreciated service. A lot of organizations have tried it, so it might just have been that, yeah, it's done. We have passed the gates needed to, to make it to GA. That's great. Yeah. We also have a bunch of Apple and especially Mac OS news. And the biggest one of those is likely the uh, SSO or Operating System Wide SSO support in Mac OS. So you now have a Microsoft Enterprise SSO plugin for Apple devices. So it works both on uh, iOS and Mac OS. But I see especially a, a huge value for this on Mac OS because it also shows how dedicated Microsoft is to allowing organizations to use their central identity on macOS, which have been somewhat complicated before and usually required third-party applications mm. to make that actually work. So device the device needs to be enrolled, but once it's enrolled and you authenticate using Authenticator uh, as, as well, then you have single sign-on across 
all the apps that supports that within the the operating system. And I think that will be a huge uh, change for Mac OS, where we will finally, in a more simplistic way perhaps, be able to both manage the identity, but also enable a better user experience across apps that use Azure AD as identity provider. I see that this will really like kind of streamline the integration that is in place in a way that there's not so many walls to kind of kick down when yeah. using Mac OS with yeah. the Microsoft services. Really interesting. And and just a question on that, how since since I meet more and more people that traditionally wouldn't be seen as a Mac user, I have a lot of uh, colleagues that are now moving from Windows to Mac just because according to them it makes their um, development easier when they're writing code they prefer to do that mm-hmm. on Mac OS how does that look for for you and your colleagues or do you have a lot of Mac users or yeah we we do ha- I do have a lot of uh, colleagues who use Mac OS and mm-hmm. it does have oftentimes it has to do with the development ease mm-hmm. as you also pointed out mm-hmm. For us, we are not so heavy on Azure AD usage. <laughs> so <laughs> this particular topic is not like on top of the list for us, but uh, maybe that will also, you know, make it relevant in the future. Yeah. yeah I, I really need to start doing like security and identity sessions for data professionals. <laughs> like we're we're not that good at security. We're not that good at identities we'll, we'll just make it work yeah i, I know us, that you make it's... your services secure but uh yeah uh our like the company i work for is not actually a data company so <laughs> we are a devops company so <laughs> oh we'll get back to that in the focus segment then yeah <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> Uh, so the other big announcement uh, in the in the last weeks or so uh, is the Intune support for Windows Laps, so local administrator password solution. So as all the abbreviations, as, oh my! Oh uh, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> uh, you also had a serverless Laps, which was called Slaps, if you prefer that. <laughs> oh no! It's still around. It's a community thing, but I don't know if Slaps is the perfect. Uh, name for a service interesting name i I would say then i think tyndall is is much cuter yes very much so laps were introduced as part of ad a number of years ago because you in many cases can't disable the local administrator account on a windows machine so organizations back in the days usually just named it to something else and set a really really long password but usually the same password so if you were to break that, someone could use the local administrator account and do all sorts of bad things on your devices. Mm. Then Microsoft introduced Laps, which enabled you to actually manage these accounts and say that they can be named the regular name. And AD will take care of setting unique per device passwords, which you can find in AD and then leverage. And once you have used the administrator account, it will actually rotate it. You use it once, you do whatever you should do, and then you get a new password, which you either could allow a user to self-service to, or in most cases, they had to call uh, some kind of support function and they were given the, the local administrator password and off they went. This 
were not migrated or not supported in Intune until now. So we have had a number of years where organizations have searched for this. Therefore, community projects like Cloud Labs or Slaps were introduced, which basically did the same thing. <laughs> oh my. Can't get over the names. <laughs> no. Sorry, I, I I will try my best not to say slaps too many times. All right. uh, but uh, I would say that Windows laps probably slaps slaps. <laughs> because now we have the ability to manage these local administrative accounts and passwords within Intune. That sounds smart. Yeah, we can set the password requirements for the local accounts. We can back them up and we can rotate uh, the passwords and everything done from the cloud. Because if you had an Azure AD only client, they couldn't even back up their passwords to AD. So this solves a lot of things that you previously had to get third party or community solutions to do. Uh, and I think that I know that this is a very much appreciated service. And this, of course, also works for your hybrid joined devices or similar, as long as they are managed by Intune. So you can actually get rid of laps in AD. Uh, and that also enables you to simplify the road-based access control to some extent as well. And with that, that was all the news and some more <laughs> that we had time for <laughs> A this little week. more. A little more. Uh, <laughs> tune in next week to listen to our focus segment and what will we talk about then, Haley? We will be talking about Agile and Scrum Ooh, and Agile nice. methodology and what is that? And Because, you know, it's still... Something that is talked about a lot, but there's mm -hmm. also a lot of critique coming around as well. So we're going to talk about all of that. Until next time, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Needleep in Tech. Needleep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at